Sometimes things, uh, sometimes things don't go as planned. Maybe you are familiar with the name Banksy. Uh, if not, Banksy is an alias. He's an, it's the alias of an elusive street artist uh, based in England. I say alias because nobody actually knows who or what his real name is. His identity has actually never been released, which of course over time has added to the drama of his art. The thing about Banksy, though, is that, that he's a uh, polarizing figure. Some people love him. Other people hate him. Some people think that Banksy is a vandal. Others call him uh, not an artist but a political activist. Many say that he's some combination of both. And that's because his artwork is often shrouded in, in some kind of controversy. A few weeks ago, a framed version of Girl with Balloon, it should be behind me, uh, this is one of Banksy's most iconic images, uh, hit the auction block uh, in, in London. And, and even if you've never been to, to an auction, an art auction, you know how these things go, right? They're, they're tense. They're, they're filled with people, uh, bidders going back and forth, people on phones. It's, it's high energy, high excitement people trying to place, hoping to place the winning bid. In this particular art auction, uh, it was no different. Bidders went back and forth. Finally, the winning bid comes in a little over a million dollars, which is one of the highest prices ever for a Banksy painting. Moments after that winning bid came in, however, something unexpected happened. You see, an alarm began going off. Nobody knew where it was coming from. Panic kind of sets in until someone realizes that it sounds like that alarm is coming from the painting. And so the entire room shifts, and they're all staring at this painting that someone just paid over a million dollars for a few seconds later, and it begins self-destructing right before their eyes. As it turns out, Banksy had hidden a shredder inside the frame. This is a photo from his Instagram account, Going Going Gone, uh, capturing the moment that this prank happened. Nobody had any idea. He just decided to shred a million-dollar painting in front of everybody. Imagine paying a million dollars for a painting and watching it self-destruct before your very eyes. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that winning bidder didn't, um, didn't plan for that to go that way. Tonight I'm super excited because we're kicking off a new four-week series here at Veritas, and, and we're going to be talking about relationships. Over the next month, we're going to look at the topics of singleness, dating, sex, marriage. And when it comes to dating, when it comes to relationships, I, I think we can all be honest. We're, we're all thinking about it. We're all wanting it. Many of us think that we need it. And the reason that I, that I start with that Banksy story is because maybe not all of you, but many of you, when it comes to relationships, you feel like things aren't going as planned. Things aren't going as planned. Maybe you're single, and you thought that you would be dating by now. Maybe you're dating, but you thought that it would be better than it actually is. Maybe you're having sex, and you thought that it would make you happier. Maybe you want to be engaged to your boyfriend or your girlfriend, but it hasn't happened yet. Or maybe you are engaged, and it's not as easy as you expected it to be. You see, wherever you fall on that relationship spectrum, for many of you, things aren't going as 
plan, which is in part, I think, why all of us in here are so obsessed with talking about dating and relationships. I mean, in my 11 years-ish on staff, it is by far the topic that comes up most often in my conversations with college students. So for many of you here tonight and those of you listening online later, the topic of dating and relationships, it elicits some of our biggest hopes, some of your biggest goals. The thought of dating or, or being in a relationship, it excites you. It's filled with anticipation, warm fuzzies. That relationship that you're in, it's thrilling. It's a source of great joy, a source of great happiness for you. But for others of you, dating and relationships, it's become not a source of happiness, but a source of, of problems, a source of confusion in your life. You're lonely and self-conscious because you're not dating anyone. You're stressed because you don't know how to date. You're worried because you don't know who to date, or maybe you know who you'd like to date, but you're worried about what people will think. Many of you, in talking to you, are anxious because you increasingly feel the pressure from mom and dad and friends and Ed Sheeran to find the soulmate that movies and books and songs in our culture tell you about, tell you you need, tell you that you have to find. It's exhausting, isn't it? For some of you, the topic of dating and relationships, it fills you with agony. It reminds you of the deep hurt, the deep heartbreak that you've experienced in relationships, the deep regret, the remorse, the pain that you feel. I'm saying all this because I've been working with you guys long enough to know that, that dating and relationships is not a one-size-fits-all issue. And whether this topic has become a great source of joy and happiness in your life or a great source of confusion and hurt, our hope as a staff team is that over the next four weeks, this series will offer some clarity to the relationship uncertainty that many of us feel. We hope to help you guys navigate the turbulent waters of singleness, dating, sex, and marriage. And so tonight, to kick things off, we're talking about singleness. Statistically speaking, the vast majority of you want to be married. And not only do you want to be married, statistically speaking, the vast majority of you will get married someday. But according to recent studies, the vast majority of us, especially in the United States, are waiting longer and longer to actually get married. Current estimates from the U.S. Census Bureau show that the average age for a woman to get married for the first time in the United States is 27 and a half years old. The average age for a man is 29 and a half. That's the longest that Americans have ever waited in history to get married. Why am I telling you this? Because statistically speaking, the vast majority of you, the people listening, are currently single. Now, I, I want to stop for a second, and I want to acknowledge something that some of you are already thinking. What does a married guy have to tell me about singleness? I think it's a fair question. I empathize with it. I really do. I, I, get, I get that it can be tiring to hear from people in relationships talking to people not in relationships about what being single is like. I understand that that can be hard. And I want to be sensitive to that. But I also want you to know that, that even though I'm married, I know what, what it's like to be single. I've experienced it. I've lived it. Just the other night, my wife and I were talking, and, and I realized that that of all of my good friends, all of my closest friends, I got married the latest. 
So I've for sure been there. I, I, I know how being single can feel. I asked several of you over the last few weeks to share with me how you feel about your singleness. This is what some of you have said. I'm lonely. I'm ashamed. My singleness feels like a curse. I'm discontent. I'm exhausted from constantly searching for someone. I'm anxious. I'm worried that I'll never find someone. It's really hard for me to trust God right now in my singleness. Some of you have experienced terrible experiences, not just in culture, but with churches and pastors and hearing sermons and talking to Christian mentors that have somehow made you feel as though there's something wrong with you for being single. And I think what these responses show is that for many, at least here in college, the view of single in our culture is overwhelmingly negative. Singleness, in other words, is a, is a curse to endure. It's a season in life to escape. It's, it's something that we want to avoid. And if you aren't here tonight struggling with singleness, I can assure you that someone around you is, someone in your life is. So how do we encourage them? How can I encourage you? Well, let's turn to the Bible. What does the Bible say about singleness? First, the Bible says that singleness is good. Why do I say that? Well, that's what the Apostle Paul said in his letter to the Corinthian church. Look at 1 Corinthians 7, verses 7 and 8. Paul says this. He says, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. So catch what he says. He's saying contrary to the majority of our thoughts and feelings about singleness, Paul says that singleness is good, and even more, Paul calls it a gift. He says that some have the gift of marriage, some have the gift of singleness. Both gifts are gifts from God, and both gifts are equally good. Interestingly, at least to me, that word translated there, gift, it's, it's the Greek word charisma. And the root word of charisma is charis, which is the Greek word for grace. And so the word gift comes from the word grace. In other words, Paul is literally saying that singleness is a grace gift. It's a gracious gift from God. But we probably don't feel like that, do we? That's not how we feel about our singleness. See, at best, we're confused how God could call singleness a good gift. At worst, it fills us with bitterness. It fills us with resentment. Really, God? I don't. I don't want that gift. I don't want this. Last year at Christmas, um, I saved up a bunch of money. Uh, my wife and I always kind of have this competition about who can get the best, the best gift. So I save up my money for, for months. I'm going to win Christmas this year. It's my year, right? And, and I, I thought I for sure I was going to. I, I bought her an Apple Watch. I mean, months. Nickel and dimed. I you know, didn't feed my kids. Uh, bought my wife an Apple Watch. Um, you know what she got me? She got me a coffee pot. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. She got me a coffee pot with some shortwave coffee. Now, I'm going to be honest and say that I tried to hold it in. I tried to pretend that I was happy. 
Because I knew going into it, there's no way she's going to top this. Like, it's an apple wash, right? But still, a coffee pot? Come on, man. I didn't want a coffee pot. You know? Who wants a, Maybe you want a coffee pot. I didn't want a coffee pot. And so that joy that I had from giving my wife this awesome gift, it quickly fades and it becomes... You know, I replaced it with bitterness and, and resentment, and I was mad that she got me a stupid gift. Now, <laughs> happily married, eight and a half years now, we're good. Okay, so here's the deal, though. Fast forward 10 minutes, and my wife kind of does this little, like, magician things and goes around the Christmas tree and comes out with a box. I'm like, what's that? She's like, I got something else for you. Open it up. Okay, so I open it up, unwrap it, it's a piece of paper, I turn it around, it's a picture of a seven-week-old puppy. She said, I got him for you, we get to pick him up next week. She freaking won Christmas again. <laughs> she always does, right? Two weeks later, I broke that stupid coffee pot, threw it away, I didn't want it, because I had Chief now. Except, some of you know Chief, except what I didn't know then that I do now is that Chief drives me nuts, Right? He barks like crazy. He jumps all over people. Many of you have been victims. He poops and he pees in my house when he gets nervous. He eats everything, shoes, my kids' clothes, my kids' toys, corn cobs. I shared that story earlier. I had to pay $1,600 to have it removed from his stomach. He's a mess. At the time, I resented the coffee pot because I wanted the dog. Now, most days, I spend resenting the dog wanting that stupid broken coffee pot. Not really, but kind of. See, not to be trite, I'm, I'm not trying to get too cute, but I think the gift of singleness for many of us is similar. It's like that coffee pot. It's the, it's the good gift from God that the vast majority of us don't want. We don't appreciate it. And instead, we resent it. Why, God, would you give me this gift? I don't want that. I want something else. But Paul tells us that there's a reason God gives us this gift. There's a reason he gives us the gift of singleness for a time in our life. 1 Corinthians 7, 20, 35. Paul says this. He says, I'm saying all of this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. You see, that phrase, not to restrict you, it literally means not to put a rope around your neck. And so Paul's saying that God's plan for your singleness, for their singleness in this stage of life, it's not to choke you. It's not to restrict you. It's not to hold you back. It's not to hurt you. Rather, Paul is saying that God in his grace, in his mercy, he gives all of us, he gives all of us the gift of singleness for a particular season in our lives. Why? For our good. Is that how you think about your singleness? I mean, if you're honest with yourself, is that how you think about your singleness, that it's good, that it's a good gift? See, I think for many of us, um, it's difficult to believe that. It's difficult for us to believe that, that singleness is for our good because for most of us, we've been told since we were little kids that the only way to live happily ever after is to find our prince or our princess and ride off into the sunset and go live in the castle. There's a reason that storyline sells, right? I mean, it taps into this God-given longing that we all have to be connected to somebody in some meaningful way. 
And so when we don't have that person, we start to believe the lie that says we somehow lack, that we're incomplete, that we aren't worthy if we're single. I think it's why so many of us struggle to find contentment in our singleness. We believe that Disney narrative over the Bibles. We believe a myth instead of God. And so our culture, maybe even the church that you've grown up in, has trained us to think that marriage, that being in a relationship is superior, that singleness is inferior. And so we start to think things like, I'll be more content when I'm dating someone. I'll be more content when I'm finally engaged. I'll be more content when I can get married. The grass always seems greener on the other side, doesn't it? Several of you have, have interacted on Instagram with us. You asked, how can I be content when I'm single? I can't answer that entirely, but let me ask you this. Do you believe, do you believe that your singleness is a good gift from God? Do you believe that your singleness is a good gift from a good God? Do you believe that God actually knows what he's doing in your life? Take it a step further. Are you willing to trust God when things don't go according to your plan? How do we fight to, to be content in our singleness? I think answering, I think reflecting on those questions are a great place to start. Now let me clarify something here. Being content, it doesn't always mean being happy. I think some of us are confused on this point. Hear me say this, it's okay for those of you who want a relationship to want a relationship. It's okay to lament being single if you want to be dating. The longing for companionship existed in Adam long before sin entered into the world. It's okay to want a relationship. It's okay to long for it, to express that, to talk about it. Being content in your singleness, it doesn't mean pretending to be happy even when you're sad. But it does mean fighting to trust that God is who he says he is. It does mean fighting to trust that God really does know what's best for you, that God really does know what's best for your life, even if that's contrary to what you want right now. Psalm 8411, it says this about God, for the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly? See, some of you here tonight, you feel like your singleness is just this, this holding pattern, right? This holding pattern for the next phase of your life. And because of this, the more time that goes by without God bringing a special someone into your life, the more you feel like God is holding out on you, that God is holding out, keeping a good thing from you. I'll be honest, I have no idea how long you'll be single if you're single. But I do know this, God is not withholding from you. Your singleness, this season, it's not a punishment, it's a gift. It's good and it's for your good. But if you let that desire for, your, for a relationship, if you let it steal the joy in this particular season, then you're going to miss out on all the benefits that you have of being single right now. So Paul says, don't resent the gift. Don't resent the gift that God has given you. Fight to appreciate. Fight to use it. 
So the first thing that the Bible says about singleness is that, that it's good. The second thing is this, that singleness, it serves a purpose. What purpose? Look again at, at 1 Corinthians 7.35. Paul says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, not to put a rope around your neck, not to choke you, not to hold you back, but so that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. In other words, what Paul is saying to the Corinthians, what he's saying to us, that God has ordained a season of singleness in our life for the purpose of having an undivided devotion to God. Another way to say that is an undistracted devotion to the Lord. You see, some of you are wondering, but, but Kyle, can I be devoted to God and in a relationship at the same time? Of course the answer is yes. Some of you are in a relationship and you should be devoted to God. But what Paul is saying is that for those of us in a relationship, our loyalties were naturally divided. Look at what he says in verse 32 through 34, just before 35. He says, I, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. See, Paul's advocating singleness to the Corinthians because he knows that it's going to give them a degree of liberty. It's going to give them a degree of freedom from the anxieties and stresses of being in a relationship, of being married. And so in other words, my loyalties as a married guy are divided. There are distractions in my life that I didn't have when I was single. Here's a perfect example. This is, this is a timeline of, of my night the other night, right? Okay, so I put my kids to bed, three kids, put my kids to bed at 8, 8 p.m. 10 p.m., two hours later, my son gets up out of bed because he wants milk. So we, we get the kids some milk, we put them back to bed, right? 11 p.m., I go to bed. 1 p.m., uh, or not 1 p.m., 1 a.m., same kid, milk kid, Jack, he, he wakes up because now he's cold, right? So we got to get up, get out of bed. Now I'm cold because I get out of bed. It's winter almost. Um, get the kids some blankets, put them back to bed, do the whole bedtime routine, get them back in the bed. 3 a.m., two hours later, new kid wakes up, right? My tummy hurts. You're fine. Go back to bed. Okay. 4 a.m., same kid with tummy ache begins throwing up. She's not fine. <laughs> Strip her bed, clean the carpet, get new sheets, eventually get her back to bed. Now it's 5 a.m. Just as my head hits the pillow, I hear my dog, Chief, peeing all over his crate. <laughs> right? He's a big dog. I hear it splattering off the wall. I told you I missed that coffee pot. Right? So now we got to take Chief out. i got to clean his crate. i got to get new blankets. Oh, by the way, we get an alert on our phones telling us that we're old and we need to bring our plants inside because there's a freeze warning. So my wife and I go outside in our shorts and a T-shirt at 5.15 in the morning bringing all our plants in because they're going to die. 5.30, we get back to bed. 6.30, my kids wake up ready to go. That's just eight hours of one day, right? Paul's point, my point, is that being in a relationship, it can be great. I'm not trying to downplay that. Maybe it sounds like I am. But it, it, it really can. It can be great. But it comes with its own set of challenges. Being in a relationship comes with its own set of challenges, distractions that often 
Paul says, and I would attest to and agree with, that often get in the way of our relationship with God. They divide our loyalties to him. And so God in his mercy, Paul said, Paul, or not Paul, God gives us for a particular season of our lives the gift of singleness because he wants our attention. He wants our undivided, our undistracted devotion to him. Ben Stewart, many of you are familiar with, uh, he, he wrote a dating book. We're selling it later tonight. It's fantastic. Far better than what we could say. Pick it up. Uh, he says this. He says, if you're frustrated or bitter in your singleness, it may be because you're missing the point of why you're single. It's like playing basketball without a ball. It's confusing. It's frustrating. In the end, it just feels stupid. Singleness is the same way. If these unmarried moments of your life are not spent in passionate pursuit of your maker, then they will often be marked by a sense of aimlessness and frustration. See, God has given you the good gift of singleness for now, for now, because he wants to secure your undivided devotion to him. And so don't squander, hear me say that, don't squander the season of your life. Being single is good. It serves a purpose. Okay, so how can we use our singleness well? A little practical application. Three, three practical ways that I, that I think that we can use our singleness well. I wish we could say more, I just don't have the time. First, related to what we were just talking about, use your singleness as a time to prioritize your relationship with God. I read the other day that, that the average person, by the, age, by the time they hit 21, has spent 10,000 hours playing video games. 10,000 hours by 21. Now the rest of college add on to that, probably doubles in college. Social media alone, on average, we spend over an hour and a half a day. Now, Here's my point. I'm not going to be another guy to bash video games and social media. There's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves, right? There's nothing wrong with playing video games. There's nothing wrong with using social media. But, but in my experience, in, in, in talking with a lot of you, many of us find it difficult to find even 10 or 15 minutes to spend time with God. Why is that? Why do we prioritize video games and Snapchat and Netflix more than we prioritize spending time with God? See, don't waste your singleness looking forward to the next season, the, the next phase of your life. Instead, use it as an opportunity to focus on your relationship with God. Spend time regularly reading and studying your Bible. If you don't know how, ask for help. We'd love to help you read your Bibles. Get involved in a small group. Join a church. Start coming to Veritas regularly. You see, your relationship with God is the most important relationship in your life. Prioritize it now. In the Old Testament, Psalm 1, the psalmist says this about the person spending time. The person who spends time meditating on God's word is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. Its leaves do not wither. And all that he does, the psalmist says, he prospers. You see, I get that singleness, that, that sex, that dating, that marriage, that engagement, I get that they're important to us. They are. They're important. But those things aren't the main storyline of your life. God's story is. 
So spend time prioritizing him. Spend time prioritizing a relationship with him. Second, I get that this isn't sexy at all. This isn't the sexy answer. Maybe that's a better way of saying this. Find a place to serve. See, if God's story is the main story of your life, find a part to play in it. See, I know it's hard to believe, and maybe you're tired of us saying it. I was in college, but, but you have more free time now than you ever will, and that's especially true for those of you who are single. And so if you aren't already, get connected to a local church. Find a place to serve at the crossing, the church we're connected to. There's all sorts of ways for college students to get involved. Crossing kids, our kids' ministry. Crossing students, our middle school ministry, our high school ministry. Veritas, our college ministry. Lead a small group. Join our hospitality team. Audition to be on the music team. Apply and spend a summer with our Japan team in Japan this summer. Spend your spring break in Harmons, Jamaica, a remote mountain village with 60 of you and staff. Find places, find organizations on Mizzou's campus to be a part of. Places and organizations like IJM. An organization that, that fights against social, social injustices here on campus, here in Columbia, and in all around the world. Join your fraternity's exec team. Join your sorority's exec team. Serve as an RA in the residence halls. Be a, be a part of Stripes. Help people get home safely. Be a part of Summer Welcome. Join Outreach. I don't know. Find an organization in Columbia, something like CORE. An organization that empowers male athletes to transform their lives through educational, experiential, and athletic opportunities. Or maybe a place like True North, an organization that helps victims of domestic and sexual abuse here in our community. See, I don't know what it is, I, but whatever it is, don't waste this season of your life. Instead, use your singleness to have a substantial impact in the lives of people here at Mizzou, people here in Columbia, people around the world. Third, spend your singleness cultivating deep friendships. See, I said earlier that we're all longing for connection to someone in some meaningful way, to know and be known by someone. That longing, it's good, something that God has given us. It's natural to want that. But I think the normal rhythms of our lives often promote shallowness, shallow relationships, loneliness and, and, and isolation. They're constantly creeping at the door. It's why we turn to Netflix. It's why we turn to video games. It's why we turn to alcohol and social media and food because they help us for a time forget that feeling of being lonely. That's why cultivating deep friendships with others is so important. King Solomon, he was the king in Israel. In the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, he's lamenting and he says, pity anyone, pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. See, I don't doubt that many of you guys, most of you guys, all of you guys in here tonight probably have some friendships. But do you have deep friendships? Maybe not a lot. Maybe just a few. Maybe, maybe just one. Spend your singleness intentionally investing in friendships with others, friends that will support you, friends that will encourage you, friends that will challenge you when needed, friends that above all will help you love Jesus and live for his kingdom and love other people well. See, Jesus was single, Paul was single, 
They both had deep friendships with other people. If they did, then you and I need to, too. I'll close with this tonight. I said, you know, we've all been given, we've all been given the good gift of singleness for a season. Every single one of us. And for some of you, that season is going to pass sooner than others. For some of you, that season of singleness is going to pass sooner than others. But what if, what if God is using your singleness to draw you closer to him? What if you being single right now is the way that you get, the best way that you get to experience the peace and joy and satisfaction of God's love, his goodness, his power, his comfort, his joy? Ask yourself, do you want a relationship more than you want God? See, sometimes, sometimes the most loving thing that God can give us is singleness. Do you believe that? Sometimes the most loving thing that God can give us is singleness. Paige Benton Brown, she's a, a former college ministry staff person down at Vanderbilt. She went to the seminary Austin and I went to several years ago when she was single. She's married now, but that's kind of besides the point. She said this about her singleness. She said, I'm single because God is so abundantly good to me because this is his best for me. It is a cosmic impossibility that anything could be better for me right now than being single. The psalmist confirmed that I should not want, I shall not want, because no good thing will God withhold from me. Do you believe that? If you're single, do you think that God is withholding from you? He says he isn't. He says he's not withholding from you. As the music team comes up, let me ask that question a different way. Let me ask it a different way. Can God be any less good to you right now? Can God be any less good to you right now on an average Tuesday night in October than he was on that Friday afternoon 2,000 years ago when he hung on the cross for your sin in your place? Can God be any less good to you right now on an average Tuesday night in October than he was 2,000 years ago on that Friday when he hung on the cross in your place? Of course the answer is no. Of course the answer is no. He's not less good to you right now, and he won't be any less good to you tomorrow either because he can't be. Jesus can't be any less good to you. His goodness is the essence of who he is. So if you're struggling with your singleness, I want you to leave tonight encouraged. The God who has given you the good gift, the good God who has given you the good gift of singleness is the same good God who will give you the grace to endure it. Fight to believe that. Fight to use your singleness well. Amen.